at Pella Windows and Doors of Wisconsin. Now get five years no interest plus five months no first payment. But only through December 31st. Set your free consultation today at PellaWI.com radio or call 855-PELLA-WI. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 855-616-1620. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. All right, kind of a morbid way to start the program, but let us clear that up. In the uh, little crosstalk exchange I had with Steve and Carol, the question was, we, we started speculating, okay, but Gilligan's Island, of course, what we got started on this was that over the weekend, uh, Dwayne Hickman, who was the star of the TV show Dobie Gillis, which you know ran in the like like five years late fifties early sixties. It was kind of the precursor to a lot of the the sitcoms, the Beverly Hillbillies, and things like that. But Dobie Gillis was very 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 interesting show, and it made a star out of a lot of people. Warren Beatty, um, for example, that was his first. He played you know a, a rich guy um, in, in the sitcom Tuesday Weld, who was a big movie star in the sixties and seventies. You know she had her debut on that show, but Dobie. Gillis um, also that that show introduced Bob Denver, who played a character, a beatnik character called Maynard G. Krebs. Now Bob Denver went on to star in Gilligan's Island for three years. But anyway, I I always enjoyed the show um, Dobie Gillis. I thought it was very ahead of its time. And if you go back and you watch it, you know, even 50, 60 years later, I think it's a show that, that holds up reasonably well it was about he played a, a a teenager now he was 25 when he started the show so and then 30 i think when the show ended but and he never really was quite able to recapture that fame he was in uh, the movie cat baloo um which with, with jane fonda and lee marvin but he was never really able to capture that fame got out of acting and was behind the scenes and tv and all sorts of stuff but it's a, really a very good show but anyhow that got us started when we were talking about Bob Denver discussing the, the Gilligan's Island cast, the question was, who is still alive? And the answer is, the only one, who would have thought, the only one that made it, uh, Tina Louise, is still alive, the character who played Ginger. Um, Dawn Summers, who played Marianne, Dawn Wells, who played Marianne, she passed away in 2020, and all the rest of them have been gone for quite a while now. Russell Johnson, who played the professor, he died at the age of 89. Uh, Jim Backus, who was Mr. Magoo, but also played uh, Thurston Howell III, he was 76 when he passed away. Alan Hale, the skip, Alan Hale Jr., the skipper, died uh, quite a while ago. And Bob Denver died at the age of 70. So Tina Louise, she's the only one left from Gilligan's Island, a show that continues to be in, um, continues to be, you know, in reruns to this day. Who would have thought a really, really singularly dumb TV show? And it was dumb. The premise was dumb. Everything was dumb about it. But who would have thought that, you know, 50 or 60 years later, you can turn on a television almost any time in the world and you can find a rerun of one of the three seasons of uh, Gilligan's Island? All right. 
The big news politically, at least in Wisconsin over the weekend, is not a surprise. It's something that I've been telling you was going to happen for a while. That is U.S. Senator Ron Johnson announcing that he is going to run for a third term. If you've listened to the way he's been talking lately, I I don't think this was necessarily any sort of surprise. Of course, the headlines here says Ron Johnson says he will run for third Senate term despite previous pledge to retire. He had previously said that he was going to quit after two terms. Now, of course, lots of politicians say that, and then they change their mind. And but now that it's Ron Johnson, this is the headline. Okay, he, he's he's going back on his pledge. He said he's going to was going to quit. Now he he's there again. Ron Johnson has had a target on his back for well quite a while now. First of all, let's understand the political reality of this. Wisconsin is a very very divided state, and Ron Johnson running for reelection will be the only incumbent Republican senator running for re-election in a state that was carried by Joe Biden. Now, admittedly, he was was carried uh, narrowly by Joe Biden, but it still is in Wisconsin. It was a blue state. So Johnson is running for re-election. Johnson has always been, I think, he's always been an underdog and he's always kind of been taken for granted. When he first ran for office 12 years ago, kind of came out of nowhere ran against Russ Feingold, uh, who had been a multiple-term incumbent. Everybody thought Feingold was just going to crush Ron Johnson. Well, it, it didn't happen. Ron Johnson ended up winning. That was 2010, which was, of course, uh, it was a wave Republican election based in, in large part on, I think, reaction to the first two years of the Obama term. Anyhow, 2016 rolls around, and Ron Johnson and Russ Feingold have a rematch, Everybody thought that Russ Feingold was just going to slaughter Ron Johnson, and Ron Johnson not only won, he outperformed Donald Trump in Wisconsin. And keep in mind, in 2016, Trump uh, won Wisconsin. So now you've got 2022. You've got, I, I think, the conventional wisdom is, well, Ron Johnson is unpopular. Ron Johnson is controversial because of his positions on COVID and his positions on Benghazi and all those different things. So this should be a race that the Democrats win in a walkover. Haven't you been watching all the money and all the horrible attack ads that have been running against Ron Johnson for the last, oh, I don't know, several months? Don't you realize that Ron Johnson is just flaky with some of these ideas? He's got absolutely no chance of winning. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I will give you my take on this, and we can feel free to discuss. For everybody that says that Ron Johnson has no chance of winning, I will tell you I do not believe you know what you're talking about. Here's the reality of this. First of all, I understand that Ron Johnson has become controversial, and I understand that the people on the left who don't like him have all this ammunition to to use. So there's no question that this is going to be hotly contested. At the same time, one of the things I say to a lot of people is these are binary choices. So explain to me, for everybody who says, well, I voted for Russ Feingold, I voted for Ron Johnson over Russ Feingold, and, and I do think that there's a lot of people who are kind of making that up to try to make their point, but all right, all right, tell me, tell me who you're going to vote for. If in the U.S. Senate race you're not going to vote for Ron Johnson, who is a solid, if nothing else, he is a solid conservative, who are you going to vote for? Mandela Barnes? You're going to vote for Alex Lazary. You're going to vote for, you know, one of the other candidates who are farther and farther and farther to the left. 
I mean, seriously, at, at some point in, in time, I think there's going to be a lot of people that are going to say, well, I, I don't I don't understand why Ron Johnson has, you know, continued to, to make some of the points that he's made about January 6th or, or whatever, probably should have stayed out of it. But if the choice is a solid conservative like Ron Johnson or kind of a flaky lefty, all right, does that automatically mean that conservative voters or even middle of the road voters are going to move over? And that's one of the things I got to tell you. You got to be really careful about polls right now because at this point in time, none of the Democratic candidates are, are really very well known and none of them have been defined. So. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I know there's some people out there that think, oh, Ron Johnson's got absolutely no chance of winning. I don't think you understand the political dynamics of what's going on if you believe that way. First point is, you can't beat somebody with nobody. And if the Democrats nominate I will tell you this, the very the slate of Democratic candidates, and they haven't been subject to much scrutiny now, and everybody's just been out there throwing bricks at Ron Johnson, and that's all well and good, and I understand the politics of that. But these Democratic candidates have not been subject to much scrutiny as of yet, and I think once people start to see where they are on issues, you're going to once again see that you've got huge huge choices that are going to be out there. Our number, 855-616-1620. Look, I'm not in a position to make a prediction about an election right now sitting here in early January when the election's not going to be till next November. I will tell you, though, that I think anybody who says Ron Johnson's got absolutely no chance of winning, you just don't get it. 855-616-1620. What do you think? We discuss. Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Five five six one six one six twenty. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Look, I understand Ron Johnson is, is controversial, but for everybody saying, "Well, he's got no chance of winning." Oh, well, wait a second. My my question then is, okay, who are you going to vote for? And let's. I, and I, I appreciate that there's everybody out there who, who's saying, "Well, I voted for him twice," and I, I think. A lot of those people who are making that claim probably wouldn't want to be on a lie detector test. But but you you have to it's always going to be a binary choice. So I think the big issues are going to be moving forward. It's going to be this year. It's going to certainly be the economy. It's going to be we're going to have to see where the pandemic is. And if you've got somebody that's aligned with Joe Biden. All right. The question becomes, is is that going to be where you want to go? Or do you want, again, a check and balance on Joe Biden, for example, that Ron Johnson would offer? Just saying that for anybody who thinks that this is going to be an easy race for any Democrat to win. Well, okay, depends on who the Democrat is. And I will tell you uh, right now, the candidates in Wisconsin have very, very significant flaws. And we'll, we'll talk about those flaws as the race kind of emerges. But it's going to be a choice between whoever and Ron Johnson. 855-616-1620. Let's start with Laura in New Holstein. Laura, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon, Jeff. Hi, Laura. Uh, so this, this kind of frustrates me. I'll get, give you my demographics. Um, I'm a millennial in rural Wisconsin, Christian, conservative, um, but has a the opportunity to put my pulse on lots of different people in my area. And I would say that um, we're a combination of, of, of Trumpers and also um, 
millennial, young millennial Christians that are more open to going moderate, mm-hmm. but we can't because um, of the abortion issue. So right. because Democrats take such a hard um, stand on that, we never get to move more left or mm-hmm. more like socially non-conservative. Right. Um, I voted for Ron Johnson happily the first two times. I was really impressed with him. But then, quite frankly, I feel like he's gotten really loony since Trump. And voting for him will make me as happy as I felt when I voted for Trump the past couple times. Um, I'd rather not. I wish we could produce people who weren't loony and really heavy on one side. But I feel like as as, my, as, yeah, you got. I heard the butt coming. My, as a yeah. as a single issue, or as a if that's your single issue, of the abortion question, or at least one of your your primary driving issues, it, it's going to be very clear. You know wh- which candidate is going to be on your side, regardless of who emerges from the Democratic primary. Right. Yeah. And it, it just doesn't feel like there's a lot of options for us. We have to vote one way, and. We do it holding our noses, and I could say that for most of the people I go to church with, um, a lot of people that come into my job, um, mm-hmm. it, we're not, people would give us this loony tune attitude because, you know, we voted Trump into the power, or Ron Johnson will be voted in again, which he probably will, but these are life and death core theological issues that um, I think they're really missing. No, I, on by not addressing both sides. Well, I think they took. Well, I mean, I mean, in, in thanks to call or in, in in an issue like that, there's really I don't know that there are both sides. I mean, people very very split on on that sort of issue. But I guess that that's the the point I am making now is the election isn't necessarily just going to be about Ron Johnson and, you know, whether he's promoted alternative treatments to COVID. And I've had the senator on on multiple occasions. I know he feels very strongly that the mainstream media has, for political purposes, misrepresented his positions on on certain issues. And I think he feels that he's tried to approach stuff with a certain degree of nuance and that that hasn't been picked up on because, of course, in the supercharged world of politics, you know, nuances, nuances is lost. Um, like, I, I mean, I, I can kind of relate somewhat because as somebody who believes in vaccinations and has been vaccinated and who has been boosted and all those types of things, I, I, I support it personally. But, you know, I, I look at some of the things I get when I say, well, I, I don't think that the government has the right to pull people out of their houses and force them to get the vaccinations. Oh, you want to kill people. You don't recognize the seriousness. You're downplaying vaccine. No, I believe in vaccinations. But I also think there's limits on what the government has the ability to do under this thing we call the Constitution and, and our laws. So I, I appreciate that for people who just kind of have the political blinders on you, you don't want to understand that nuance. My only point is there at some point in time there is going to be a choice which is going to be presented and what's going to be the driving issue as in the the voting in November of 2022 is it going to be Ron Johnson saying he didn't feel threatened at the Capitol on January 6th is that what's going to motivate people to vote or is it going to be Gee, inflation is running at an out-of-control rate, and Joe Biden keeps wanna, wants to keep spending, and the stock market is in the tank, if it is in the tank then, like it's been in the tank for the last couple weeks. But w- whatever that, that is, typically the issues that people coalesce around and vote on are issues that, that affect their, their pocketbook 
and their daily lives. And I think a lot of that's going to depend. You know, Trump, if it wasn't for COVID, I firmly believe Trump would have been reelected, but he mishandled it. All right. Joe Biden. Joe Biden said he was going to stop COVID. We were going to end COVID. Well, Joe Biden has proven not to be able to have ended COVID. I don't know where we're going to be in the course of the pandemic, 9, 10, 11 months from now. Hopefully not in the same situation we're here now. But but those are going to be the issues that are going to be driving people to the polls. And once again, anybody who just writes off Ron Johnson and says he's got no chance of winning, really? And for anybody, I hear a lot about this. Well, he said he wasn't going to run for a second term, for a third term. Okay, well, he, he's decided he is going to run for a third term. So if you are, again, a fiscal conservative, for example, are you going to what, vote for Mandela Barnes or vote for Alex Lasry or vote for one of the other people that are running over Ron Johnson because he said he wasn't going to run for a third term? I mean, seriously, is is that what you're, you're, you're that's going to be your deciding issue? And, and maybe, again, if you're not a fan of Ron Johnson and you're looking for something to justify it in your mind, that, that that's all well and good. I'm just saying, without making any sort of prediction as to how this race is going to turn out, this is going to be a hotly contested race. I will tell you here in January, I think you need to be really, really skeptical of the polls that are out there, because just like polls perhaps misrepresented Trump's support in Wisconsin, I think some of those polls that you're going to see coming out might misrepresent the depth and intensity of Ron Johnson's support. I'm not in a position to say that he's going to win, but now that he is in the race, I think it is going to be a much more competitive race than some people think. And for everybody who has underestimated Ron Johnson the last two elections, read Russ Feingold. Well, you know, don't be surprised if the same thing happens again. The other interesting dynamic is this. There were a couple candidates, particularly Kevin Nicholson, who um, have been on the sidelines um, that were prepared to run for Senate if Ron Johnson retired, and now they're talking about, well, now that he's running, maybe I'll look at running for governor. I think that would be a fool's errand. I think right now um, Rebecca Clayfish has the institutional support. She's raised a ton of money, like $3 million for her in her first quarterly filing. I think I saw something like that today. I think she's pretty much got the Republican nomination locked up. And Johnson, by waiting as long as he's done, is pretty much guaranteed that she is the only major candidate out there raising big sums of money. She's pretty much guaranteed that she's going to be the nominee. If any of the other people who are thinking about getting in were going to ask me my opinion as to whether they should do it or not, my advice would be um, if you do it, you're probably going to lose. And why run a statewide race if you're probably going to lose? Back with more in just a minute. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. What a wild finish to the regular season NFL yesterday. Just, you know, one game after another, and I'll let the sports guys break it down, but it was just absolutely fascinating to watch all this stuff happening, including the last game, the Sunday night game, where if it ended in a tie, both teams would have gone to the playoffs, but because one team ends up winning, Pittsburgh makes the playoffs. It was, just, it was just a wild sort of thing. And today is what they call Black Monday in the NFL. It's because a lot of coaches from underperforming teams, or at least teams that 
management thinks are underperforming get uh, get axed. The Dolphins f- fired their coach after three years. The Bears have fired um, their coach, I believe, after four years, really never turned it around. Their general manager is gone as well. One of the uh, maybe one of the surprises is that uh, the Vikings, who have been competitive, but they've um, they, they fired their coach, uh, Mike Zimmer, who'd been with them for an, a number of years, and the general manager. They've been together for eight years, and the Vikings had, had, had accomplished certain stuff, but they'd never been able to overhaul the Packers, and I think the team probably felt they were not on the right track, which is what happens when Kirk Cousins is your uh, quarterback. But in any event, that's three coaches so far, and my guess is there will be a lot more coming. All right. Here's the deal. Starting today, in any local elections moving forward in the city of New York, you can vote as long as you are a legal citizen of the United States or you are now allowed to vote if you are a legal resident, meaning you do not have to be a citizen. If you've got a green card, you can vote as long as you meet the residency requirements, that is, having lived in the particular place for 30 days. You can also vote if you are a dreamer, that is, somebody who was brought to the country illegally as a child but has been allowed to remain under the federal program known as DACA. So if you are in that category, even though you are a a foreign citizen, you are allowed to vote in the city of New York. This adds probably about 800,000 potential voters to the voting rolls. And New York becomes the the largest city to to do that. Um, Washington, D.C. apparently allows it. Portland, Maine, not Portland, Oregon, allows it. A number of states have laws that prevent this. But in New York City, you are not allowed to vote in um, statewide elections. You're not allowed to vote in federal elections. But for local races like aldermen, local races like, say, mayor, um, school board, and things of the like, you are allowed to vote even if you are not a legal U.S. citizen. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, there's all sorts of advocates that are out there saying, oh, this is the greatest thing in the world because it encourages people to participate. At the same time, keep in mind what this does. This now allows foreign citizens to cast votes in U.S. elections and make policy decisions. So, for example, if you are here on on a green card and you're living in in New York, even though you're from Mexico, wherever, you're going to be able to vote even though there's no guarantee that you're not going to just turn around three months from now and, and go back to, to Mexico. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Is it a good idea to allow people, you have to be legally in the country, but you do not have to be a citizen to cast votes in U.S. elections? 855-616-1620. And I guess... You know, the bigger question then becomes, should we bring a little bit of New York to Wisconsin? If it's good enough for New York City, should it be good enough for Milwaukee or Madison or wherever? 855-616-1620. We discuss. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 
855-616-1620, which is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. The incoming mayor of New York had the opportunity to veto this law. He decided not to do it. So effective today, approximately 800,000 people who are not citizens, they are legal residents in some form or another. They are either dreamers or they are people that are here with green cards, but they're not residents. They're not legal residents. Um, they are from other countries. They have citizenship in other countries, but in New York, they will be allowed to vote in local elections, not state elections, not federal elections, but local elections. So they can vote for mayor. They can vote for alder person. They can vote for school board, despite the fact that well, they, they are a, a citizen of Mexico or a citizen of wherever, you know, 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line text. Jeff, what happened to wisdom in this country? For all those politicians and citizens that profess to be followers of the Constitution, they should be outraged at this, allowing non-citizens to vote in our election. Jeff, once you are on the voting rolls locally, how do you manage the national election and keep those people off the rolls? Seems like an administrative nightmare to me. Um, yeah, I think that this is one as well. Now, here's the flip side, Jeff. Um, I'm a Canadian. I've been here for 20 years on a green card. I am a taxpayer. I work hard. I would love the opportunity to vote in this country, to which I, I appreciate that. To which I would say, all right, you want the opportunity to vote in this country. It's real simple. Become a citizen of this country. We would love to have you. So, right, if you've been in this country and the texts are saying, I've been here for 20 years, I'm a hard worker, all those things. Absolutely. Become a citizen of the country, and then you can vote in all the different elections. But this idea of, well, I, for example, I'll use this example. I'm a Canadian citizen, so I'm going to, you know, uh, I'm going to vote in the, the national elections, and I'm going to, you know, vote for the premier of, you know, whoever I'm, for the, you know, the, the prime minister of Canada. I know you don't directly vote for that, but I, I'm going to vote in the Canadian elections. I'm going to keep my citizenship. Oh, okay, that is a choice that you are, in fact, making. And it does raise the question of if you're going to allow people who are non-citizens to vote, why bother becoming a citizen? I mean, seriously, why why bother going through this for all the people who went and took the citizenship tests and did all the stuff and became citizens? You know, why, why bother if we're going to give people who are in this country and I acknowledge this is they're in their country legally, but they are not citizens of the country. They have made the choice to not become citizens of of this country. And presumably, like I say, they've got citizenship somewhere else. If you want to vote in this country, God bless you. I welcome you. Go through the hoops, become citizens, go through the swearing in ceremony. It, it's it's great. It's absolutely great. And we will, you know, welcome you on that. Um, Jeff, I'm wondering how voters are going to be separated at the voting locations, or will they not be separated based on who and what they can vote for? Th- that is an interesting logistical question, and um, I-, I think it's a fair question to ask. I don't know how they work it out. Gianni and Montello, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Yes, hello, uh, Jeff. Uh, great topic, timely topic. Hey, listen, m- my wife is Filipino, and, and she's here uh, um, legally, and um, I-, I think that um, I-, I would like her to have some representation when she, she gets 
eventually when she gets her green card and goes through the adjustment of status. But I, I think one of the problems is that it, it takes so long to become a citizen in the United States. And um, this is even uh, you know uh, augmented by, by the COVID situation now, where even the adjustment status adjudication may take 16 to 18 months. Um, and yet she's working at, during this period. So um, doesn't she get some sort of representation, even locally? Well, she gets once she becomes a citizen, she gets representation. But no, I would argue, no, up until up until that point, she gets a lot of the benefits of living in the United States that 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 come with being a legal resident. She gets access to sending the kids to schools and things like that. But no, I I think if you want to be able to vote, I think that's something that is awarded to citizens. For example, Gianni, my guess is if you go to the Philippines and you live there for six months and you say, I want to vote in the local elections, they're going to laugh at you. Jeff, you are absolutely correct. (laughs) Not only... not only that, but I, I can't own, I can't legally buy property there, which is, you know, a problem. And I think that's a problem in Mexico. So yes, there are, there are, are great, you know, advantages given to, to people oh, that, um, are right. entered the United States. No, thanks for calling. Right. And I appreciate that. Look, and I, and I understand. I mean, some people are texting me about what about the concept of no taxation without representation? Because if you're here on the green card, you, you pay, you know, you presumably, you know, you're, you're working, you're, you're paying taxes. And, you know, that, that no taxation without representation is a great slogan, but it's never been an, an absolute. Um, you know, if you want the representation, that, that applies to people who were, were citizens. And again, it, it's to me, the best way to look at it is what, what would happen if I'm, let's say I decide I want to uh, get, a, get a visa and I'm going to go, I'm going to work in Paris for, you know, six months or something or, or, or nine months or, or whatever, or, or even a couple of years. But I don't want to give up my U.S. citizenship. All right. So, so that, does that mean can you imagine if you went down and said, OK, well, I'm a U.S. citizen, but I, I, I want to vote for the mayor of Paris and I, I want to vote for all these different local positions that are there. They're going to look at you like they're crazy. They're going to say, no, you're you're a U.S. citizen. If you if you want to become you know a citizen of France, well, fine. Here's the forms that you fill out. This is the hoops that you jump through. And then, you know, we'll, we'll welcome you if you get to that point. But this idea that you have people who are are citizens of other countries who now make decisions with regard to policies in the United States um, when, again, they're, they're citizens of other countries. I, I just think intellectually it's wrong. I think it's probably unconstitutional, but, but that's going to end up being challenged. And I think, again, there, there's all this political there's it's it's more political than anything else right now new york is the well obviously if it's new york it's going to be the largest city in the country that, that's done this it's not a wave that's taking off yet but i think there's a lot of people who are saying okay this should be what we do now as long as you're in this country you should be able to vote and then i guess my question is you know should you be able to select congressmen what what explain to me if we're going to allow you to vote in local elections you know why why shouldn't you vote for congressman why shouldn't you vote for governor why shouldn't you vote for president so in other words if we carry this to its logical extreme you've got people who are foreign citizens who presumably have loyalties to foreign countries who would be selecting our representatives doesn't sound like a recipe for success to me and this is Jeff Wagner. So delighted to have you with us. Well, you want the good news or the bad news? Hmm. 
Okay, here's the bad news. As I sit here, the Dow Jones Industrial Average is down 312 points, another in a continuing series of really bad days on Wall Street that fueled by the government's inability to control inflation and fueled by the government's inability to get COVID under control. Um, so now the market's down 300, just 26 points. The NASDAQ, which is tech heavy, um, that's down 187 points. Okay, so that's the that's the bad news. So you say, Jeff, okay, that's, that's another like really bad day in the stock market and people have investments losing money. What's the good news? Well, the good news is that even though the Dow Jones Industrial is down like 330 points now, earlier today, it was down over 500 points. So it's actually come back a little bit. And the NASDAQ, which is down 184 points, was down, you know, well over 220 points earlier today. So it's bad. It's bloody. It's brutal on Wall Street yet again today. But but it's not as bad as it was first thing this morning or earlier this morning. But bottom line is it's been kind of a rocky day. And for people who think that they know politics and think that they understand stuff. I, I always take them back to, you know, Bill Clinton in 1992, where they just had the, the big signs up on all the doors of the war room that said, it's the economy, stupid. And I understand that people who look at politics and say, well, I have this feeling about, you know, I, I think, you know, that this is January 6th, uh, 2021. Well, we've got this issue there. Or, you know, was the 2020 election stolen? All those things. That's all well and good. Um, but for most people making their decisions, it's what really affects them. And that, at least in 2022, is going to be the economy and it's going to be where we are with COVID. Back with more in just a minute. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. Man, I tell you, it's... um seems like every time you turn around, there's another death. Um, of course, over the weekend, as we were talking about Dwayne Hickman and Bob Saget, we'll talk a little bit about more about that later on. And now, um, Mike Spaulding, from the not-beloved category, but uh, notorious, Robert Durst. Um, and you, you know who, you, you're familiar yes. with him, right? Yep, yep, the real estate slash suspected convicted serial murderer, killer right yeah. serial killer yeah this who was made famous by for people who why do i know that name if you watch the hbo series jinx or jinxed mm-hmm. or something like that it was a six part thing where you know, durst who was a very very odd character who was born into this huge new york real estate family and so he just inherited a a boatload of of money and um, has been convicted and or suspected of killing multiple people. And, and, and finally, it's just all starting to come together. And, and But he was able to avoid detection for, for years and years and years. And, and actually, one of the reasons they got him is that the, it, at the last episode of this HBO thing, he, he apparently kind of looks at the camera and issues a, a, a sort of a confession. I, I didn't watch the whole thing because it was just, it was just too weird for me, but I did watch some of it. It dragged, kind of. Uh, yeah, no, it's at the, yeah. the very end. And spoiler alert, um, he doesn't realize he has a hot mic on, and he's right. talking to himself. And and there were interviews with the producers of this documentary who were conflicted about, do we turn this audio over to police because we think we have this confession here, but also at the same time, 
maybe not, and, and, and all this was ongoing. So really kind of interesting conflict to the end of that documentary series. Uh, but yeah, he was he got hospitalized with uh, COVID shortly after he was sentenced to life in prison. Well, right, and he had had I mean, a, a whole variety yeah. of health issues, I mean, bladder cancer and things like that. So they, they say it's, it's natural causes, but dead at the age of 78. But he was just a, a truly odd character, and quite candidly, maybe I, clearly mentally unbalanced, but also you don't throw the word monster around that often, but if he did what it appears he did, this guy was a monster. He was like a person whose life would be developed in a movie, right? Like oh, yeah. you mentioned, like he was born into this huge family and inherited all this money and was just kind of in a a different kind of a person, I guess you could say. Um, kind of like DuPont, the, the story of the, the, the guy who, who yes. shot the wrestler. Mm-hmm. You know, again, somebody just in, incredibly, incredibly wealthy, but spirals into medical you know into this this mental illness yeah that that it was it's sort of that type of that type of story yeah yeah just just born into to wealth and just weird just what a weird life and i and you know i always think like okay if you weren't born into this would you have probably not robert durst because they think he was a serial killer but would you have been maybe a little more socially normalized or something like was it just the life you were born into with the silver spoon and all this right. stuff like did this kind of lead to the the life you had but yeah you're also right about these documentaries they i i, I'm, I love documentaries that mm-hmm. that's that's the, what are the new documentaries that are out there but you're exactly right so many of them so many of them drag and they are just rep repetitive gosh i was watching one the other night that i, I want to say it was on hbo or something but it was like a three or it was on netflix it was like one of their true crime true crime things and it was three hours and it was about um somebody that was killing prostitute guy the serial killer of prostitutes in new york in the late 70s but it, it's three one-hour things it, it could have been an hour documentary i mean it just they go over the same stuff over and over again and it's clear that they're you've got 60 minutes or 90 minutes of material that you're trying to turn into 180 minutes or whatever yeah no i'm i'm with you i also just watched one the starved rock killer yeah, uh, if you've gotten I, to I, it yet. I, I watched the third uh, there's three of them i watched yeah. the third episode okay. and it, it it didn't really hold my attention but okay. yeah yeah Me but you know, right but but yeah it's, and i love documentaries but but that's it in the event robert nurse robert nurse dead at the age of 78 okay from from serial killers and documentaries to sesame street there is <laughs> how's that for a segue there there is a, a scene from sesame street Years and years and years ago, actually 2004, this video clip is going viral. And if you follow me on, on Twitter, it's at Jeff Wagner 620. I've got, I've got a link to the story that talks about this, but I've also got a link to the, to the clip itself. And I want to explain the background and then talk a little bit about why it's going viral because for so many people, they look at this, this one clip and they see it as, kind of a, a microcosm of of where we are in 2022. Okay, the clip involves the, the orange Muppet Elmo, who is one of the beloved characters on, on Sesame Street. And let me just set this up. So Elmo um, loves cookies. So they're at the, this table, and, and Elmo is with one of the other Muppets named Zoe. And there's there's a couple cookies that are out on the table. Now, this is 2004. You remember the era of the pet rocks where people spent a lot of money to buy like like rocks, proving that there is a sucker born every minute. Well, the other Muppet, Zoe, so there's like three cookies that are laid out. There's one in front of Zoe. There's one in front of the pet rock. There's one in front of, of Elmo. It's a 30-second clip. Here, here's the conversation. That's Elmo's 
Oh, gee, Elmo, that was my last one. Oh, that's okay, Gabby. Elmo will just eat this one. No, 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 wait, wait, Elmo. What? Rocco says that he wants the oatmeal raisin cookie. Rocco? Rocco's a rock, Zoe. Rocco won't know the difference. Yes, he will. <laughs> you can't have that cookie, Elmo. Rocco wants to eat it. How? How is Rocco going to eat that cookie, Zoe? Tell Elmo. Rocco doesn't even have a mouth. Rocco's just a rock. Rocco's not a Okay, so you get you get you get the idea. There, there's these cookies that are out there. There's the oatmeal raisin cookie, which is Elmo's favorite. That's in front of the pet rock Rocco, and there's no more oatmeal raisin cookies left. So he says, "Okay, well, I'm just going to eat this one." No, no, you you can't have it because it belongs to Rocco. And Elmo, the puppet, the Muppet, is going. No, it's it's a rock. The rock can't eat. The cookie. The rock doesn't know that it's a cookie. The rock doesn't have a mouth. It's a rock. It's not alive. And so Elmo is just frustrated that, you know, he's trying to argue, and they're not letting him have the cookie, and he's trying to argue, look, you're saving my cookie. You're saving this cookie that I want for the rock, and nobody is listening to me. The rock is not going to be able to eat the cookie. Now, why, why has this taken off why is this gone viral and why is the scene as a representation of of where we are in 2022 well i think you know there for for so many reasons first of all it just i think it it reflects just this frustration that that people have nowadays and, and we're all kind of like at our wits end with this stuff where you're just arguing about like like stupid stuff what do you mean I'm going to take the cookie? No, you can't have the cookie because it belongs to the rock. The rock doesn't need the cookie. Let me eat it. There is also the, the kind of there's the, the pandemic interpretation of this. Now, some people see this as as they think Elmo represents people who are vaccinated, um, who are just kind of fed up with people who refuse to get vaccinated. There, there's there's that interpretation. It's like, oh, OK. You know, it's a rock. It can't eat the cookie. No, no, no. We're not going to believe it. We're going to save it for that. And so, there, again, there's some people who think that that applies to people who are unvaccinated. The flip side of it is there's some people who think that maybe that applies to people who believe everything that we've been taught without thinking through stuff logically about COVID. And, and gee, if, if somebody says this works, then it, it just has to work. And it doesn't matter if the empirical evidence says it, it doesn't. And, and so that's it. So I, mean, I understand the analogy, again, going to the, the whole thing with the pandemic and the people who are vaccinated or not. One of the other things I think you can make this argument is about about masks. I, I want to just kind of amplify on something we talked about at the end of last week. The city of Milwaukee, here, here's the irony. The city of Milwaukee is getting ready to pass a mask mandate, reinstitute a mask mandate. And uh, the problem is they're not going to have any. They, they have nobody to enforce the mask mandate because all the people at the health department are already trying to get people vaccinated, etc. So they're going to pass a mask mandate with no enforcement mechanism, which to me, I, what, why do you end up bother doing it? It's the ultimate in virtue signaling. I was watching television this morning. And there was a guy, they were doing, you know, one of these man-in-the-street interviews, and there was a guy who was arguing, well, I think the mask mandate is a, is a good idea. He was wearing a cloth mask that was that was down, I mean, it wasn't covering his nose. And it was one of these kind of like loose-fitting things. And I remember looking at it and thinking, okay, you, you think it's a, the mask mandate is a good thing, but 
don't you realize, sir, that if it's down around your nose and you're bringing in and out and it's not like tightly fitting around your mouth, you, you are spewing all sorts of the stuff into the air. You're not doing anything when you ma- wear the mask improperly. And to this point, I mean, there's a real interesting piece in the New York Post. Yes, that, that New York Post, which talks about how that um, the argument is Omicron stats show we can stop living in fear. Let me read you a portion of it. President Joe Biden rang in the new year with a fictional account of COVID-19, just like the ones he peddled the year before, claiming this continues to be the pandemic of the unvaccinated. Actually, the statistics suggest otherwise. The Omicron variant is hitting hardest those who live in states with high vaccination rates and high rates of masking. New York Times figures show that during the first week of the year, January 1st to 7th, the 10 states with the most COVID cases per capita were, in order, Rhode Island, New York, New Jersey, Massachusetts, Delaware, Florida, Connecticut, Illinois, Hawaii, and Maryland. All 10 have higher vaccination rates than the nation as a whole. Six have rates in the top 10. Nine, all but Florida, have mask mandates for schools, and several, such as New York, have wider mask mandates. On the flip side, the, um, the states with the 10 fewest, now let me find it here, the states with the 10 fewest COVID cases per capita, six have vaccination rates lower than the national survey. Idaho, the state with the lowest vaccination rate, also has the lowest number of per capita COVID cases. Eight of these 10 states don't have mask mandates. None of this indicates COVID vaccines don't work. They're still effective in preventing severe illness. To which I say absolutely amen. That's why everybody should get vaccinated and boosted, because when you get COVID, and I am convinced that pretty much all of us are going to get this new variant if we haven't already had it, that the fact if you are boosted and vaccinated, you're not going to get very sick. At least that's what the statistics show, and that's the value of it. But what we're seeing now is the vaccines which are still worth getting, aren't doing a good job of preventing people from getting this latest variant. They prevent you from getting sick from it, which is worth getting it. As far as masks, well, the the question becomes, well, okay, if you look at all these communities that have had these mask mandates in place and you see COVID going through the roof, does that maybe mean we need to re-examine whether these mandates work? And, and at least, or do we just kind of blindly say, well, it's, it's got to work because, you know, we we thought it worked, you know, in the first six months of this when we were dealing with something different. I mean, I, this is the frustration that I have because I think people on all sides of this issue just, just get blinders on and don't sort of do critical analysis of this stuff. Um, if you're going to wear masks, all, all well and good, but... It's pretty much apparent now they can't be cloth masks. They can't be these these loose-fitting stuff that allow stuff to pass through. And, and they have to be the higher quality, like the N95 or the KN95s. And they have to be tight-fitting, and you have to keep them up over your nose. Because otherwise, just having that type of mask on that's going to allow you to breathe stuff out isn't going to accomplish anything. So, you know, maybe... It's not just saying we need mask mandates, but it's saying, okay, these are the type of masks that people have to wear, and this is how you need to wear them. And maybe like they're doing in the city of Milwaukee now, rather than going to a mask mandate, rather maybe the better way to do it is to give people who choose to wear them, give them the masks, 
Um, the good quality masks make them readily available and allow them to then make their own decision. But I do think this is interesting because, like I say, there's you, you watch this Elmo clip where he's arguing about why you have to save the cookie for the rock, and, and nobody's listening to him. And I think that there's something in that that, regardless of where you are on the COVID issues, regardless of where you are on a lot of political issues, there's something that probably all of us can relate to in one shape or form. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. By five o'clock tomorrow, we will know all the various candidates who will be, well, we'll have an idea as to all the various candidates who will be on the ballot for mayor of Milwaukee when uh, in February when you have the primary election. Tomorrow is the deadline to turn in signatures. Now you have, I believe it's like a dozen candidates. It's almost impossible to tell the players without a scorecard. And you have about a dozen candidates who have all taken out papers showing that they have an intention to run. And that that's fine. The next step then is you have to turn in, I believe it's 1,500 valid signatures. So tomorrow you will have, by tomorrow, anybody who wants to get on the ballot, it's not just enough to say I want to run, they will have had to have collected and turned in their signatures. And I, like I say, we'll have an idea as to the number of people there are. You won't know finally because they, they have to vet and go through and look at the signatures and determine whether they're all valid. And for some of the candidates, if they only turn in, I don't know, 1,510 or 1,520, that, that's playing with fire because I- inevitably some signatures always get thrown out for, for whatever reason. The person's not an eligible voter, the, the residence isn't in the city of Milwaukee, whatever. But 1,500 is the magic number, and we'll know by 5 o'clock tomorrow how many of these candidates have, have met that threshold. My guess is my guess is you're going to probably have 8 or 9 or 10. Now, that doesn't mean, just because you get on the ballot, that you are a, a serious candidate. And I think you've really got kind of two tiers of, of candidates that are out there. You have people with at least some degree of name recognition and or some constituencies because they are either a current elected official or a former elected official. And then you've got, you know, some of the other people who are just kind of out there in the community who, in my opinion, I, I probably don't have a realistic chance of, of winning, but, you know, they're, they're out there running regardless. I, I think there's no question that the, the leader in the clubhouse has to be the acting mayor, Cavalier Johnson, who's set out a very, what I would describe as a moderate course. He clearly hasn't aligned himself with some of the far-left fringes of Milwaukee politics. So, I mean, I think he's, while not the conservative candidate, he's he's talking about issues like crime and things like that, issues that I think resonate with a lot of the voters. The other thing that is a huge advantage for Cavalier Johnson is that he apparently has $350,000 cash on hand for the spring mayoral election. Now, campaign finance reports aren't due until next week. So the the people that are running, you don't have an idea as to how much money that they have raised. But $350,000 is a huge amount of, of money. And it's not a situation where I've always said this, the candidate with the most money wins. That's not necessarily true. But especially in a crowded field, you need to be a candidate that has enough money so that you can get your message out. 
and, and clearly, I mean, if, if Johnson has three hundred fifty grand, that's a big deal. In addition, former Milwaukee County Executive Chris Abley is is all in on, on Johnson, and he's maxed out in contributions to him. But Abley um, has the ability through you know he's got an independent campaign organization, and you know he's he's played in local politics before, not surprisingly. So what he could do is he could make independent expenditures on the behalf of Cavalier Johnson as long as he didn't coordinate with the mayoral campaign. And he's indicated he might be willing to do this. So when you have a deep-pocketed invest, a deep-pocketed supporter like Abley and you have hundreds of thousands of dollars in your campaign account, that gives you a huge leg up. My guess is that may deter some of the peripheral candidates, but the problem here is everybody who looks in the ma- in the mirror sees a mayor looking back at them. And given the fact that Milwaukee only elects new mayors every 15, 20 years, whatever that would be, this is sort of a once-in-a-multi-generation opportunity for someone. And you know that even if people have absolutely no chance to win, that doesn't mean that they're not going to give it their best um, effort. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. A lot of people weighing in on the prescription stuff. Look, I mean, everybody's trying really hard, I guess. And and again, my my point isn't, gee, did you have to wait to get your prescription? It's just that if they're not going to be ready, they shouldn't call you. I was just noticing person after person were having the same experience. They get called. They make a special trip to the pharmacy to pick up a prescription that they were told is ready, and then they're told, Oh no, we don't we we don't have this. Yeah, we we've got it in the system, but it hasn't been filled yet. And if you want to sit around for another half hour, we we can take care of it. It's just just call us when we're ready, and we'll be glad to show up. All right, as we mentioned earlier today, Bob Saget passed away over the weekend. He was on a tour of venues doing comedy shows in, in Florida, and they, they found him uh, dead in Orlando at the Ritz-Carlton Orlando Hotel. Um, apparently, he they, they haven't listed what the cause of death is. He's 65 years old. They say there's no suspicion of foul play. They didn't find drugs or anything like that. Um, my, my guess is he just passed away and he, he failed to, what happened was they, they did a, he failed to check out. He would apparently check out time was like four o'clock or whatever. He hadn't checked out. So somebody goes into the room to see what's going on and, and they find him. And then by the time they call the paramedics, there's nothing they could end up doing. Bob Saget was probably best known to people for the, the TV show um, Full House, which aired from 1987 to 1995. During that period of time, he was also the host for America's Funniest Videos. And so that that really kind of brought him to people's attention. He was also a stand-up comic. I, I mentioned this earlier. I saw his show in Vegas. I, I'm thinking it's Vegas um, a, a while back. And interestingly, for a guy who came to fame from being, you know, the dad on, on Full House and the happy-go-lucky guy on America's Funniest Home Videos, his his stand-up com- com- comedy show was as dirty as you could possibly imagine. It was funny. It was really funny. Don't get me wrong. But, I mean, they, they, they matter of fact, they had disclaimers, as I recall, saying this is an R-rated show, nobody under 18 admitted and stuff like that, because they wanted to prepare people that this this wasn't sort of wholesome comedy. This was going to be really, really dirty. And it was really, really dirty, funny as well, but it it was funny, but you had to, it was also, you know, I can remember sitting there thinking, this is, this comedy act is not what you think of 
coming from the, the character that he played. But again, he's playing a character on television that's not consistent with the show. But it was extremely funny. And um, uh, Bob Saget was, I think, uh, generally regarded as a really, really funny guy and really successful and very well thought of in the, the comedy world. And he's passed away at the age of 65. It got me thinking, though, about... You know, all the the different comedians that, that are out there from all the different generations. And I thought in in recognition of the passing of, of Bob Saget uh, way too soon yesterday, we'd spend at least one segment on the program just having a little bit of fun on a cold Monday afternoon. I, I'm going to call the segment It Makes Me Laugh. 855-616-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. The one comedian or comedians, if you want to pick a comedy team, if you want to say Cheech and Chong, that's okay, too. Um, the one comedian or comedians that always could make you laugh, that were just flat out, hands down, rib tickling, funny. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Back to discuss in just a minute. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We're just getting swamped with texts. And um, actually, it's, it is kind of a walk down memory lane. Jeff, without question for me, it's Jeff Foxworthy. I remember the first time I heard him, I almost, almost fell out of my brother's pickup truck laughing so hard at the stuff he was saying. If you've ever taken a beer to a job interview, you may be a redneck. 855-616-1620. A John and Racine. John, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jeff. How are you? I'm well, thank you. Okay, he just makes you laugh. Who would that be? Okay, I, I'm a frequent Vegas guy, so I've seen the Hall of Fame comedians from um, Bill Cosby to sure. Bob Newhart, Buddy Hackett. The one who could always make me fall out was George Carlin. Yeah. Yep, 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 yep. Especially... You know, I mean, George Carlin, who, you know, really went through two phases of his career. For the longest time, he was kind of a more what I will describe sort of a normal type of comedian and stuff. And then, you know, in, in the, the mid-60s and the early 70s, he, he kind of went into his hippie phase and stuff, which is where he developed like the seven words you can't say on TV or Milwaukee or anything. But but George Carlin was hysterical. And some of those comedy records he put out in the 70s were incredibly funny. Well, even the end of his career. Yeah. When he was doing like HBO specials and things like that, he right. was cutting edge and he was edgy. He wasn't for everyone, right? But if you liked his comedy, he was the best there was. It, no, and and thanks. And I, I mean, I've said this before. I was not at the Ice Bowl, although I had dinner on Friday night with my friend Mark. I didn't realize Mark was at the Ice Bowl. He was telling me that I was not at the Ice Bowl, but I was at Summerfest the night George Carlin said the seven words you can't say on TV or in Milwaukee. Let's talk to Tom in Richfield. Tom, you're on WTMJ. Hi, Tom. The guy that made me laugh before he even talked was Rodney Dangerfield. <laughs> yeah, I don't get no respect. Yeah. Just seeing him walk out, his face, you know, it was like a, uh, it's just something else. The guy, I watch him on YouTube. Right. The Johnny Carson one. Right. The, the, I, yep. He's, Oh my God! But his face—you know—he had that look. You know, he just, 
Oh yeah. You. No, thank, thank you. You're exactly. I mean, Rodney Dangerfield. If you really want to laugh, go. You're exactly right. Go on YouTube, watch some of his old Tonight Show performances where he's just uh, Johnny Carson is just in, in hysterics, and you know Rodney Dangerfield, you know, quite quite a character. I, I was watching a documentary on the making of Animal House, and that was his first movie, I think. And it you, apparently, you know, in, in the movies when the director says action, that's when you're supposed to do the stuff. So they're filming the scene where he's supposed to come into the golf shop, and the director says action and and he doesn't move and they says rodney you, you, you that that's your cue action and he says oh you mean you want me to do the bit yes and so <laughs> why didn't you just tell me to do the bit so rodney dangerfield incredibly funny as well let's see uh, jim gaffigan this is one of our listeners who temporarily relocated to the warm climes of phoenix arizona uh the three stooges buddy hackett yeah buddy steve steve martin i mean steve martin um very, very funny as well. You know, one of our callers mentioned it earlier, and and you, I, I, you got to go back a ways. But when I was a kid, some of the funniest records were Bill Cosby, and I understand that you know we we view Bill Cosby now through the the prism of all the stuff that happened in his lifetime. But I will tell you, I mean, some of these comedy records that Bill Cosby put out in the '60s and stuff that were number one clean. And number two, just incredibly, incredibly funny. Now, again, you, you don't think of that right now because you just you think of, uh, you know, that Bill Cosby. Red Fox from Sanford and Son, who was a stand-up comedian way before that. You want to talk about a guy who worked blue, who was dirty? Red Fox, you know, the Fred Sanford character. Red Fox um, worked blue. Let's see. Robin Williams. I never saw Robin Williams in person, but I saw a lot of the HBO specials, and, and some of them, um, especially at, at the height of, of his career was just, I mean, the guy was just manic and was incredibly, incredibly funny. Ron White, I, I like Ron White's humor as well, no question about it. 855-616-1620. Um, yeah, somebody says Caddyshack, not Animal House. I don't think I said Animal House, it was Caddyshack. Let's see. Um, my favorite comedian was and always will be Rodney Dangerfield. Yeah, no question about that. Jeff, John Ritter. On Freeze Company, Phil Hartman on Saturday Night Live. Both of them died way too soon. Uh, Jeff, for me, it was Jonathan Winters. Yet Jonathan Winters, and again, a lot of people, there, there would not have been a Robin Williams if there weren't a Jonathan Winters. Um, and, and Jonathan Winters, again, this sort of troubled guy, but this great comedic mind. And if you've never seen Jonathan Winters, I, I would encourage you to you know go back and do some of the YouTubes of some of the stuff that he did in the 60s. Incredibly um, cutting edge. Ernie Kovac, another one. I was watching a documentary on him, and these are people that kind of get lost in the you know in the time warp and stuff like that. But they're incredible. Uh, Richard Pryor, yeah. Um, you want to talk about a guy that had no filter, and I'm not sure how Richard Pryor would have survived in today's era of political correctness, but Richard Pryor was somebody who, who just just didn't care. And, you know, and he just went out there and he did his bits and they were incredibly honest and they were incredibly funny. You pick up, you watch some of those, the, the movies that Richard Pryor did, the comedy movies, and you just get a glimpse of some of the talent that he had. And again, it's one of these things where, in, in his case, there was the constant battle with drug addiction, addiction and things like that, that ultimately, I think, ended up bringing him down. Jeff, um, Sid Caesar, if we really want to go back. Right. There's no question about it. Some people mentioning Jerry Seinfeld. No question about that as well. Um, Andrew Dice Clay. You know, I, 
I never saw I never saw Andrew Dice Clay in in concert and stuff, so I, I really don't have a perspective on that. Um, in any event, you know, it's look we're in the middle of winter here. It's really really cold. You've got people, it seems to me, passing away right and left. You've got the pandemic. You deserve it. You deserve to give yourself a treat. So my advice is, you know, tonight you got a couple minutes. You know, go on the Internet, go to YouTube or whatever, find that one comedian or comedian that makes you laugh, and then just watch about 10 minutes of it. It will brighten up your day, guaranteed. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Is this a case... Where we need to simply say, lighten up Francis, or in this case, lighten up Dana, or lighten up Karen. Or is this a case where there is reason for legitimate outrage? Here is the story. It involves American Airlines. So on Saturday, there is a woman. Her, her name is Dana, although she is being referred to as, as Karen. And I, whenever we do this, I always get all these emails from people named Karen who say, please don't say that, you know. Okay, so she's she's Dana. So here's the deal. She is in the Caribbean. She's on St. Lucia, which is a quite nice island. And she's ready to, she's waiting for her flight on American to come back from St. Lucia to Miami. So she's been on vacation. Okay, so here's the deal. The pilots, you know, you're, as you're getting on the plane, you know, the pilots come down and they all have their little, like, travel bags and things like that. And so one of the pilots on the flight is wheeling his, his travel bag. And on the travel bag, he's got a, a tag. And the tag says, let's go, Brandon. Now, we all know what let's go, Brandon means, right? This is the, this is the meme that is a diss of the President of the United States. So anyhow, she, he, he's got the bag tag on his, on his suitcase that he's, he's pulling along, or his flight bag, or whatever that might be. All right. She sees this, and immediately her hair catches fire. She f- takes a picture of, of this and sends it off to American Airlines with the, the following. Hey, American Airlines, you all cool with your pilots displaying this kind of cowardly, cowardly rhetoric on their crew luggage when they're in uniform about to fly a plane. We are not the only passengers who noticed and were disgusted today in UVF, that's St. Lucia, about to board a plane to Miami. So she, she sends this off and they, they, Send a response back. Um, thank you. We greatly appreciate the additional the details. We forward the photos and the information you've shared to the right leadership team for handling and review, um, etc. She then says, it's disappointing that your team cannot provide a public position on speech that supports the insurrection violence against the U.S. government. Now, he's got the bag tag that says, let's go, Brandon. This feels like the minimum that American Airlines could provide to ensure loyal flyers feel safe about who is flying the American Airlines fleet. So she, she's unhappy with the fact that they say, okay, well, thanks for the complaint. We're going to forward this on. Oh, 
Don't you realize that, you know, we, we, we have now concerns about our safety and he's supporting the insurrection violence against the U.S. government, which is interesting because you can argue, I think, about let's go Brandon one way or the other. But I don't know that there's any real link saying it's unless you're really, really deep in the weeds that this supports the violence insurrection against the U.S. government. But obviously that's the way that Karen, or in this case, Dana thinks. So she, she's now gone public with this outraged at the response so she posts all this because she's outraged at first of all the pilot having it and secondly the fact that american airlines apparently didn't move in and immediately fire the people the complaint was met with ridicule from other users on twitter um for example one person says hope the pilot and everyone else gets a raise for having to deal with Karen passengers such as this one again apologies to all the karens out there this case her name is dana um, let's see another one. The pilot uh, gets a raise for dealing with entitled passengers like this for um, doing the job. Don't fire your pilots for being conservative or criticizing Biden. We won't have any pilots left. As if the thousands of flight cancellations aren't enough already, American Airlines do the right thing. Um, another one texts, why are you responding to this bully? Stand with your employees, not Internet trolls like Dana. Another one, you don't need to do anything, American Airlines. Um, now, American Airlines made news in 2020 when the company allowed crew members to wear Black Lives Matters pins. Um, and, of course, this frustrated some employees because they wanted to wear support like thin blue line things, and they weren't allowed to do that. Okay, our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. This This passenger is outraged that the pilot has the Let's Go Brandon tag on there. She alerts American Airlines and is unsatisfied, at least with their response, where they say, we are going to investigate this. So let's tee it up. I mean, what what happens? Is this is this a complete and total overreaction on the part of of the passenger? I mean, seriously, if you saw something like this, would it inspire you to take a picture of it, text American Airlines and demand action on the pilot? Should the pilot be fired? What should happen in this case? 855-616-1620. Tell you where I think this goes, but I'm curious as to your reaction. Is this an overreaction by a crazed lefty, or is this a legitimate point, or is it something perhaps somewhere in between? We discuss in just a minute. Back for more, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Now, see, this is a variation of the story that we had a few weeks ago where you had the pilot, I believe, on Southwest who comes on the Internet at the end of on, on the intercom and at the end of his conversation says, let's go, Brandon. And you had people who were appalled and offended by that. Now, this is different. This is woman coming back from St. Lucia. Pilot gets on the plane. He's got his, his personal his suitcase and stuff, and that's got a let's go Brandon tag on it. He's not wearing stuff on his uniform. He doesn't get on the loudspeaker and say things, but, but she sees this bag tag and just, I think you could argue, loses her mind. I'm texting American Airlines. This is terrible. How can you employ somebody that supports the insurrection and violence, which I think for most rational people, even if you are the most ardent supporter of Joe Biden out there, I think that you would maybe unless you are just completely and totally blinded, you you would 
recognize that just because you, you've got a let's go Brandon sticker doesn't mean you support insurrection or violence against the government. But I understand that's the way some people see things. 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. Jeff, if he was wearing on his uniform, I see where they might have a case, but this was personal luggage. What happened to free speech? Are we going to lose all our rights? Jeff, it's because of stories like this that the phrase is never going to go away. Jeff, bravo to the pilot. I think he should get a raise. Thank goodness he actually showed up to fly the plane. Well, that that's, I mean... Boy, I, I think that, you know, the, the whole idea that you're exactly right with what's going on with air travel nowadays and all the people that are calling in sick and stuff. I guess to me, the last worry would be whether somebody shows up with a, a tag on whether I, I'm just glad the pilot showed up regardless of, of what the tag is on this. Jeff, if I saw this, it would inspire me to say hi to the pilot and agree with him on let's go, Brandon, um, how that sticker should make anyone feel unsafe with him flying is just absolutely um, ridiculous. Um, Jeff, I had to deal with the Black Lives Matters pins on, with Delta flight attendants. Jeff, I think it's clearly an overreaction. This is not a communist country. She has the right to complain, but American Airlines should not censor employees baggage. Um, well, that's it. Jeff, what's good for one is good for all. Most have to put up with rhetoric that we don't necessarily agree with. As far as I'm concerned, tough. Suck it up, Dana. Yeah, this is Dana. Um, Jeff, absent a conversation with the pilot to provide more context, the passenger should not have made a big deal about this. The bag tag could have meant anything. While it's very likely the bag tag was a joke about brand and people assume too much. Well, I, I mean, I, I think we, we, I think it's fair to assume what this tag was, but I guess I, I'm struck by two things. First of all, I guess my, my thinking is if I were the supervisor at American Airlines, I would say to the pilot, you know, the Black Lives Matter pins notwithstanding, we, we don't want our employees making political statements at, at work. And, and yes, we know you didn't come on the intercom, and we, we understand that this wasn't a pin on your apparel. But you know, um, when you're getting on the plane and when you're when you're at work, you, you should probably not have this tag on. That would be my response to it. My response, though, to the lady who thinks this is insurrection and violence, and she's afraid to fly, would really be, I mean, lighten up, Francis, or, or lighten up, Dana. This I this idea, I guess I. With all the different things that are going on in the world that can genuinely make you unhappy and upset, the fact that this lady goes into this incredible, incredible rant about this and the fact that the guy's showing up on the plane and I I need an immediate answer and I'm afraid that this might be violence and you should do this and stuff. Look, the appropriate thing for American Airlines would be to whistle the guy in and say whatever his name is, Frank. You know, we, we lose the bag tag when you're at work. And I think that would be completely fair and completely appropriate and the right thing to do. Beyond that, the, the message to crazies like Dana is we've dealt with this. We've taken care of it internally. Thank you for bringing this to your attention. We look forward to having you fly American Airlines again in the future or, or not. That That's 
the appropriate reaction to this. And if you've got people that literally see this bag tag and think, oh, my gosh, this is going to be somebody who's supporting storming the Capitol and, you know, hijacking Mike Pence or Nancy Pelosi, you really need to dial it back because that's just as unhinged a response as the response from some of the people that stormed the Capitol on, on January 6th. As far as the meme, let's go, Brandon, the, the best thing I can tell people on the left is it's going to be around for a while. And the more you get your undies in a bundle over it, the more you're going to see people end up doing it. And you can call it childish and you can call it inappropriate. But at the same time, there's a lot of people who remember the things that were said about Ronald Reagan. And they remember the things that were said about George Bush. And they remember the things that were said about Donald Trump. And they're not really too worked up over something that says, let's go, Brandon. Should American Airlines tell the guy, don't do it again? I think that's appropriate. Anything more than that, I don't believe is necessary. Okay, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to find out what John McCure has on his mind for Wisconsin's Afternoon News.